0: Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, sobering. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash TAM to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash TAM and let accountability be your guide. hello everyone welcome to another episode of the addicted mind podcast my name is dwayne osterland and I'm your host and I just want to thank everyone who has reached out to me let me know how the podcast has helped them and benefited them it just really warms my heart to see that the addicted mind is having such an impact on so many people I just really appreciate it and I really appreciate all my listeners out there who have taken the time to like write a review or share the podcast or subscribe it just means a lot to me i i really appreciate it and thank you so much for doing that it's just awesome to see that so i want to let you all know thank you so much all right we have a great guest today i really enjoyed this conversation a lot his name is rio timberlane and he is a relationship scientist and author of the book, The Joy of Lucid Love. He's gonna share his own journey from being a software engineer, which takes a lot of logic and thinking, to getting out of his own way, overcoming his own addictions, using that process. The ability to look critically at himself and his own mechanisms And I just really love what he's created and the terminology he's used and created himself to describe this modality. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you get a lot out of it. I could really relate to Rio and how he views the world. And I hope that you can as well and and get as much as I did out of this interview. So stay tuned for that. And don't forget, if you're enjoying The Addicted Mind, please rate and review us on iTunes. That's really awesome. And click the subscribe button. All right, let's start this episode. All right, Rio, welcome back to the Addicted Mind Podcast. Just so everybody knows, we made an attempt to record this episode and we had some technical issues. So we're coming back to it. Today, my guest is Rio Timberlane, and we're going to talk about tree. It's a word <laughs> that I had to look up and couldn't really find a lot on it but i had enjoyed our previous conversations so much rio that we wanted to get this on tape and and do it so i'm glad that you're here you want to introduce yourself again and we'll we'll get into it
1: all right well i'm a relationship scientist i've spent about uh two decades looking at the underlying axioms that we all operate in as humans, axioms uh, about how our relationships function. And, and the system ultimately is very predictable and built by these, these simple truths, axioms, and an axiom is a self-evident truth. So when I share an axiom, like if, if I were to ask you, what's the most important thing in a relationship, what would you say?
0: Uh, connection.
1: Ah very very interesting. usually, I get trust and respect, but connection is the like the human network, right the social right. fabric that we live in every day. but every one of these relationships that we have at the the fundamental level require trust and respect. And so those are axioms, you know, that we experience day in and day out. And so they're self-evident.
0: Yeah, I would say really when you say that, when I say connection, it it all flows from that trust and respect. So that totally makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. And so when we look at the totality of our human experience, there isn't any part of it that isn't a relationship in some way or other. And specific to your podcast, Addiction, is ultimately a relationship. Yeah. We classify it as an unhealthy relationship because it's something that A a relationship that we find ourselves trapped in that we can't opt out of, whatever the behavior is, whatever the, the outward indication, the outward symptom, however you want to classify the identifier for an addiction. In the end, it's a behavior and a relationship that we are incapable of. We find ourselves, no matter how hard we we try, we're incapable of of extricating ourselves and of this relationship. And right, right. so. After 20 years of studying how humans relate to everything, there's a body of knowledge, which is these collection or uh, theses of all of these axioms that describe the mechanisms of connection, the mechanisms of interaction between people and, and in all of our relationships. And they're universal. You know, <laughs> I've went to great lengths to try to to break that mechanism, try and find something that was missing. And it's incredible to see how predictable and obvious it ends up being when we get past the superficial stuff.
0: Absolutely. I just want to go back to what you're saying, because I, in my work, in doing this work, I, I, I call them. I guess, themes, but I like the word of axioms. They're like kind of universal truths that are just part of it, that they're just there. And they're just, there's part of the structure and everything. Before we go further, though, I want to know a little bit about you and what got you into this work, because I think that helps always set the stage for for why we're doing this and why this is so important to you.
1: And I appreciate that. And So I was, you know, in a former life, I was a software engineer with a really good skill set for troubleshooting, complicated, very complicated systems. I would really, it was something that enlivened me. I really enjoyed finding that bug in the program. And it was always something really simple, like the statement, if this and this do this thing. Right. And then the bug is that what was what needed to be was if this or this, so in either case, then do this. And so we change that line of code, we recompiled the application, and we run it and boom, it works perfectly. Right. Well, in my own life I had a bug.
0: <laughs> right. Just one. <laughs> just one. Yeah. We all just have one bug. Yeah. And
1: so in my own life, uh, right at about the year 2000, my marriage fell apart and really my whole life imploded. And I found myself, you know, and this is this is a a very terrible realization when you come to terms with the fact that you're in an addicted state.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I actually classify myself as having three addictions, uh, a sexual addiction, an addiction to control, and an addiction to anger. And the addiction to anger supported my addiction to control, and the control helped me to manage my sexual addiction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense.
1: Yeah. So here my my world falls apart, and you know I'm faced with this really devastating self diagnosis you know like realization that there's this part of my life that I can't stop i can't I can't remove myself from i after the fact, I would look at it and say, what the heck were you thinking? Why did you do that? You know, yeah. that's not the healthiest thing or the best thing or that's that's reckless and all of that deprecation. But in the moment of it, I found that I was – it felt like I was powerless, completely powerless.
0: Yeah, I totally <laughs> And get that's
1: that. That's a very hard place for a person to come to. And so I started looking at my life in, through a new lens and to make it really simple for, the, for your audience, I, I took this skill set of troubleshooting and I applied it to my own behavioral processes and began to realize that there was a subconscious program that had fl- bl- bugs in it, falsehoods.
0: False, right, like beliefs. false beliefs and stuff that you, when you're stuck in it, you can't see them for some reason. You just and, can't see them. You just keep <laughs> going and, and and running the same code and then going, why isn't this working? But I you know, I, I'm just going to run the same code over and over again.
1: And this is one of the, the strengths of animatry, which we'll get to in a second. So my process started because my marriage had imploded and I couldn't I couldn't answer the question of what went wrong. But I had this theory that there must be a line between healthy and unhealthy and I've been living on the unhealthy side and so it fell apart. So I got to find this line. And it took some time to to discover that. And then the question was why can't I stay on the healthy side? It's obvious that this is an unhealthy behavior, but I'm always over here doing this. And that's when I really started digging into my subconscious programming. And it was all experimental. And uh, I was the lab rat in my own laboratory. And over two decades of working with myself and gradually introducing some of the concepts uh that I was working with with other people. I, people around me would see that I was changing and they would ask questions and we'd get into a conversation. Gradually I began to be of value in somebody else's life. And so there was a there was a developmental process of a new science we call osiology which is first person, not psychology, which is third person. And you're a you know, right. clinician in psychology. So when you sit down with a client, you are the authority. You represent the body of knowledge. And they're there in this state of it's really their subordinate. And this is the way yeah, everybody I I approaches it. I, I don't know what's going on in my life. And there's this expert. And I'm, I'm acquiescing to them. And the unfortunate thing there is that the only access that you have to whatever's going on is what they can communicate to you. And if they can't see it, if they can't understand it, and interpret it, you're just about as lost as they are with the exception of the DSM.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, all you're going to get is what they can communicate to you and you're you're it's only a glimpse inside of another person
1: and so then the science that we've developed using these axioms is called oziology where the o represents the world view that the individual has so subconsciously i have a representation of the world that i live in which was created by my experience in this world and the z represents my decision-making process, which is zigzag. I, I make a decision to go this way and find myself going that way. And then the I represents my identity, who I believe that I am in this world trying to navigate it. Right. And ology is the suffix that we apply to study of, right? So it's a first person science. And this is my own experience. I became this scientist studying myself and looking for my identity, looking for the way I viewed the world, looking for how I tried to navigate it. And in that process, You know, it's it it became this internal ability for introspection, like I freed myself to look at at what was going on without judgment. Pretty big hurdle for most people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that breakdown. I think that is brilliantly simple, but very understandable
1: and theoretic at this point right if yeah you, theoretical you know to to think about it yeah i'd love to be able to look through that microscope and see what's going on in my subconscious and the hard part about it is that the subconscious has some defense mechanisms and the right. the the simple truth about it is that if you try to push anything into your subconscious it just completely closes off and this is why, like, the concept of an affirmation that we try to insert within ourselves. And every day, maybe we, we you know, go through a routine or force ourselves to say this affirmation a hundred times, and it doesn't change a thing. But then... One day something happens. We don't even know what it is. And suddenly, boom, there it is. It's inside of us. And we don't ever have to say it again because it's it's just everywhere within us and we don't know what happened. Well, the and this this is my own experience, right? That but because I was watching, because I was used to being very deliberate in my observation of, of computer code. I was that way with myself, and what I discovered was that when the affirmation went in, it was when I ask a question of the context of the affirmation. The subconscious opens up, the, the belief that's there comes up, and if that affirmation is an axiom, then... They're they're side-by-side side here that the subconscious has this falsehood that works sometimes, doesn't work all the time, and then it has this absolute truth, this universal right. truth. Well, which is it going to choose? Is it going to hang on to this thing that's only been working a little bit, or is it going to hang on to this, replace this with the axiom? And that's what happens. It automatically just gets sucked into the internal software and now in the place of the falsehood that you were making decisions on or whatever, your behavior was based on that falsehood. Now you have this universal truth about how the world works or relationship works or whatever. And your behavior is in a line with the real world that you live in. And it's right.
0: just that quick. And more effective. That's that we were talking about on the last, last time we talked about that paradigm shifting moment where your whole worldview is shifted in this direction that helps you live the life that's meaningful to you because it's based in some of these realities.
1: Yeah. And and this is where most of our pain comes from is that in our subconscious belief structure, we believe that we live in a world that isn't the real world. Uh, you know, like we might believe that if I throw a tantrum, I will get whatever I want. And so uh, we act like, you know, a, a drama queen, right? We're,
0: right, we're right. F-
1: full of all of this this adversity. And as a kid, maybe two years old, you get catered to when you act out like that. But as an adult, 22, 42, 52... It doesn't work so well.
0: Right. It's like you said, our, our subconscious can block that process off from us. And so we don't see it happening. We don't see the the programming taking place until we either can ask the right question or, like you said earlier, have the right kind of moment that all of a sudden They're next. Those beliefs and the the axioms you're talking about are like next to each other, and it's kind of like oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's that's that we have this aha moment. And, uh, you know, the, it's an incredibly exhilarating feeling. It's euphoric to yes. suddenly like you're bumping up against this wall. The analogy that I use is like a fly. You know, we're we're watching the fly. You know, maybe it's a Saturday afternoon and we're bored to death. But there's this fly bumping up against the window pane and it won't it, all it has to do. The other window is open. And all it has to do is fly over here and it can go right out, but it can't see that. And it just keeps bumping up against this, this windowpane. That's how we are when we have a false belief in our subconscious. That's like a primary belief. And often we have like big structures, belief structures that are built on top of that falsehood. And so when this. Par- paradigm shift, this aha moment happens, and we can suddenly see that all we have to do is go over here, and it's a free, you know, we're free to move forward in our life, then we forget about <laughs> that, that window pane. we forget about the other pathway completely. And now we, we move, progress into a space that we've never been before. And we have to reconstruct all of this belief system that was built on that falsehood before. And so that might take a day or a week or a couple of weeks for us to rebuild that subconscious belief structure. And then suddenly the thing that was always this complete wasteland to us, whatever that might be in our life, is now a flourishing, you know, land of milk and honey that we can operate in. And we get excited about that. We want to tell somebody and and we see that, oh man, you're just bumping up against that that wall that I used to bump up against. All you have to do is go over here. We try to tell them and then they can't move because we're, their subconscious is closing off. Right. So this was this was the challenge that I had. Codifying the axioms became osiology, the science. But it's first person. Right? Right. I can't give that I I, I can't use it on you. It's uh, you know, on somebody else.
0: Yeah. You know, it reminds me of what I see a lot is that, you know, we can look at other individuals and go, man, why are they doing that? It's so destructive, (laughs) you know, and it's so obvious, right? Because we're, we're out of it. Yet my guess is at times people are doing the same thing to us. Like, man, that's so obvious. Why are you doing that? You know, but it's just unseeable in that moment
1: well and and this is a part of the way our minds function yeah. is that about probably you know there's no way to actually empirically measure it but somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 plus percent of our behavior of our decision making is all subconscious process and yes. You know, there's a very thin layer of our belief structure that we're actually aware of. And all of this, you know, this enormous processing system, this big, you know, operating system for my life is under the surface. So I kind of think of it like a application on a computer. You know, you have the interface where you type in some information and, you know, maybe it's a spreadsheet or whatever. And in the background, there's all this calculation that goes on. You don't know what it is, how it works, but right. you put in the basic numbers and then you get the output information and you go on with life, right? Right.
0: Well,
1: that's that's how our operating system works, in our, with our subconscious to our co- cognitive part we know the interface we know the input the output maybe but how it processes why it does that why it gives us particular output eh, we don't know we, we don't can, know
0: I, you know one of the yeah. things i i think about and i've thought about this a little bit is that you know our brain and you know i think this is part of survival of our of our species wants to be as efficient as possible and so efficiency is making these quick judgments built upon these belief systems that we've experienced in our life for whatever reason because it's fast it's quick it doesn't use a lot of mental energy and so we get stuck there
1: yeah and if you to put it into perspective if you think about crossing the street You know, like maybe you're driving, you come up to an intersection and you have the stop sign, and there's, say, two lanes of traffic in either direction, but you're just at a stop sign. So there's no light that tells you that it's safe to go. You have to peer up and down the street and then step out there, right? maybe you're on a bicycle and you know you you don't have any armament around you you know 2000 pounds of steel and whatever right you're just on a bicycle and you're going to cross four lanes of active traffic and you have to do this without dying yeah and if you watch that happening most people will approach slow down slightly and make that decision in a fraction of a second to risk their in, their life and their body to cross that four lanes of of traffic and they make that decision in a fraction of a second with just a glance back and forth yeah. and that's how powerful of a processor we have in our subconscious yeah. and now if we transfer that that processing capability to a social setting, maybe an interaction with your boss or with your spouse. All of that processing is happening all the time automatically. And we're making life and death decisions on the fly with just a glimpse of what, you know, like like you have to, when you glance up down the street, you have to decide, is that car going faster than the speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, can I get across before it gets here? And if you miscalculate how quickly it's going, you're a bug on the road, right? You're just you're just squished. Roadkill. And once in a while we fail at that, and then there's a fatal accident. But if you if you really look at the statistics of that kind of decision that all of us make every single day, it's incredibly phenomenal how powerful our processors are. And this is in light of the fact that most of us are full of falsehoods.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how do those now work together?
1: Well, since your podcast is about addiction, let's put it in that context. Addiction is one of the most common places where I end up applying animatry, which is the art of helping somebody do that introspection. So I can't use oziology on them because it's a first-person science. They have to develop their own lens and their ability to look. And animatry becomes the uh, – like when I'm working with a client, I'm guiding them by asking questions. And that's all I do. In a very methodical process, we record their answers. And whatever answer they give me, I work with that to help excavate down layer and layer into the subconscious. And I got to tell you, that is a skill. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, oh, absolutely. Because, the, you know, it's, it's like spelunking. You get under the surface and you lose all perspective of, you know, direction and depth and – So there's 10,000 different pathways from any answer that a person gives to a question. But we end up going down layer and layer and for a client. And the truth is that being able to express your opinion honestly, openly, authentically is going to be the most healthy. So anemiatry is the art of helping somebody become an osiologist looking through that lens to see what's going on in their subconscious.
0: So when we were talking before, you broke down animatry and why you chose that term and what that term means. Can, can you do that again? Because I really I liked how you did that and how you created that, that term.
1: Well, this yeah, this this was one of the things that I have had to do quite a bit with osiology and animetry, because we've had to create words that are very specific in definition in order to avoid a lot of the subconscious belief structures that are problematic, and when it came to this art. <laughs> This is really kind of a fascinating thing because words are really, you don't think about this, but words are really little like like Legos, little pieces put together. And the suffix, iatry, like psychiatry or podiatry, that iatry suffix means healing art. And whatever it's attached to, the the, the subject noun is what the art is about. So, in our case, the life force that flows through us unobstructed by falsehoods in our subconscious belief system is the animation of the of the person, and anima is the Latin term for life force that same li energy that leaves our body when we die, and so the construct is that this is the healing art of that anima and cleaning up of our subconscious falsehoods that become barriers to our animation in life.
0: I, I love that, and and I have the same appreciation of language. I say language is like this, this metaphor, and it's you know it's so hard to communicate our internal experience. With language, because it's not precise. It's, it's you know, we all have our own beliefs about what words mean, and that impacts how we receive it. You know, it gets into this, but I love that these two terms really work together to help an anamiatrist helping a person become an osiologist is a really beautiful combination and and a way to capture that process in a very distinct precise way. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, which I really which well, I really appreciate I'm, and also makes me appreciate like where that comes from from you and your programming and being a software engineer, you've got to be I would imagine kind of precise and having that skill set kind of allowed you to do that process.
1: But it it took me a while to Give myself permission to create words, and one of the one of the funny things about it is that often when I 'm working with somebody, I refer to something that we've uh, in using a a word that we 've constructed, and it's foreign to them they 've never heard it before, so they'll say that's not a word. you made that up right <laughs> and, and then i asked them well how many words weren't made up where did they come from before somebody made them up right and my realization that and this was long long time ago when i was struggling with language to you know like teach somebody an axiom that i had learned and you know like it gets lost in translation like you were saying and love is is one of these words you say to your wife that you love her? Yeah. Do you ever say anything like, oh, I love this this beer or I love this game or I love this book? Or, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you don't mean the same thing as when you say you love your wife.
0: Yep, yep absolutely. Yeah. Ah,
1: yeah, And so... That is what – in the book that I've written called The Joy of Lucid Love, that is ultimately the question that we're answering is when you say to somebody or when you say about something, when you say I love, what is it that you really mean? And there's this – part of the science is a construct of the data, the information, the, the truths in it that is called a simplexity. So like in psychology, there's the bell curve, you use the bell curve, you know, throughout the DSM to say, okay, here's where normal people are. And if you're on this side or this side, then there's some diagnoses. Right. And in oziology there's only one subject. We don't have a big, uh, like oziology's is first person science. So there isn't a sampling of 50 people or 100 people. There's only... Only one. (laughs) So we need a method of defining where we are in context. And so the idea of love, which is about the reciprocity we have with people, there's a simplicity that's like a number line. So on one side is one kind of love. On the other side is the opposite kind. These are called antinomials. And in the middle, there's a a zero mark. So it's a number line going in this direction. Now we steer away from saying positive and negative, good and bad and all that, because those are moral statements. But in the context of the reciprocity that you have, like you are with me or with your kids or the clerk at the store or, or your wife, you're always operating somewhere on this whole continuum and at one end is transactionality it's like i do what i have to to get what i want in the the reciprocity on the other end is without condition pure manifestation this is who i am i do this because it is truth in me and so when we when we put ourselves on this line we can say in my relationship with my wife or my friend or the, the, the guy on the street, I'm over here in this transactional thing. But we can also see it often that I'm over here manifesting some part of myself that I wasn't even really aware of. And when we begin to see this is truth about who I am, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah, we, could, we can and, start to see ourselves.
1: Yeah. And when you, when you can see yourself, then you can love yourself. You can absolutely. let go of, of the judgments of, you know, like the surface behavior. You you start looking at why did I do that? Like you mentioned that this is our second conversation and you set that up because our first conversation enlivened you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I loved it.
1: Yeah. So a lot of what we do in life is because we feel enlivened, right? yeah, but we don't really think about that. We just think you know, like, Oh, I had a good time, and then we move on to the next transactional thing, and you know we we in some way are trying to buy that enlivening, but we don't have a connection between how the transaction fits with this thing that enlivened us, and so we are often confused and at odds and we do behaviors
0: that don't make sense. And, and then we don't know where to go. We don't have the information. If we're not doing that kind of I- insightful, uh, osiology, I think i I'm using the word, right. You know, we don't yeah, have absolutely. the insight to create more of that. That comes from our spirit within the, like what you are I don't know what you want to the call anima. it, our our light our anima, our life force, right? That that <laughs> I also think going back to what you were saying and made you think this exploration as we can move into that, I think it also allows us to connect to our humanity in this kind of loving, compassionate way, not caught up in, like you said, this upper top stuff that really doesn't yeah. allow us to do that. I mean I love it. I love the outline of it. I think it's it's really awesome. I I'm loving our conversation, and and it, it so you're fits. You're
1: using that word love.
0: I, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it because there's uh, I have to think about this because there's a lot of there's passion there and there's connection, right? I feel connected. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we're on the same page. I feel like so you know when you you get into that and and you can start to notice that awareness you can you can embrace that i can have more of that right resetting up the conversation with you to be able to achieve this
1: and and this is what the book the joy of lucid love is about lucid meaning clear that i can see how love is working in me and in my relationships whatever those relationships might be and so moving away from addiction and, you know, all the falsehoods and things like that as we Start looking through that lens, see the falsehoods, replace them with axioms. Now we're in harmony with the world that we actually live in, where our identity gets cleaned up, so we're clear about who we are, and our decision making process is not completely ambiguous but has some rationale to it. It has you know um the mechanics of how the real world works, and so suddenly suddenly <laughs> took me two decades but i didn't have anybody guiding me but when i work with a client we, we in a few months i just finished up with a client i think we did something like 28 sessions and she became her it took her a while identity wise it took her a while to believe that she could look through her lens all by herself i did the last 3 sessions i did with her I didn't I didn't ask a question. Now, the opening question, how was your week? Nothing else. The whole time, two hours, I just sat there and you know, to doing the recording part of the session. She did all the work, and in each session there was a paradigm shift, at least one. And at the end of it, I, I said, So what did I do here? You just paid me for this session. What did I do? Right. And it was zero, right? So when are you going to be your own osteologist? When are you going to believe that you are your own osteologist and you don't need me to help you? Yeah. And so it took three times to get the proof to believe, and this is the identity, her own identity, that she had to be dependent on somebody else. Somebody else had to be the authority in her life. and then between the third and the fourth session she texted me and she said i have to do it on my own so i'm canceling our next session
0: that's and
1: awesome. the most beautiful discussions i've had with her just as a friend since then
0: yeah that's so great that is that is awesome rio we could talk much more about this and and much longer but already this episode is pretty long here so Let's uh, You uh usually when you get to the end, I, I love to ask like one question and that's if somebody out there is listening and maybe they're struggling some way in their life, maybe they're stuck in their, their beliefs and, and stuff like that. What would be the one thing you'd want them to know if you could tell them just one thing?
1: The truth makes you free.
0: The truth makes you free. Oh, I love it, Rio. We could talk a lot longer, and maybe we will, because, uh, like I said earlier, <laughs> I love this conversation. You're right in well, line. Well, we could do another thinking. one.
1: I'd be glad. I'd be glad to do another one with you.
0: Awesome. Where can people find you? They want more information. Where Where can they go?
1: realworks.org. dot org. R i o w o r k s. dot o r g. Realworks.
0: Awesome. I will uh, put that link in the show notes as well and any other links you want to give me as well. And Rio, thank you so much for coming on again and being willing to share your hard earned wisdom and uh, with everybody and with the audience. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So you can go check those out. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, click the subscribe button. I really do appreciate that. That really does help the podcast get a lot of exposure. And now you can follow us on Instagram. So check us out there at Addicted Mind Podcast. There we'll release all the new episodes, any stuff that we're working on, what we're doing. So go check that out as well. All right, everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.
1: Oh, hey, it's Erin.